turn with me, if you will, to uh, John chapter 2. Uh, tonight we're doing a series called Love in the Ruins. It's looking week by week at the Gospel of John. And tonight we're coming to one of my favorite passages in Scripture. This is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. Um, but we get to see this couple on the verge of disaster at their wedding. And we get to see Jesus perform his first miracle. So we're looking at John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you didn't bring a Bible or don't have the app on your phone, it's on your handout. I'm reading from the ESV, John 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Basically the sommelier. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept, you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive into this passage together tonight. Let's pray first. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you um, did not, you have not left us in the dark about who you are. You have not left us guessing or having to put pieces together. But Lord, instead, through your word, you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, my prayer for this semester and my prayer for tonight is the same, Lord, that you would, through your word, as we look at uh, the Gospel of John, as we look at your life and your work on our behalf, that you would become more beautiful to us that you would become more believable to us, that our hearts would not just be moved to be in awe of your glory, but that our hearts would be moved to trust you with our lives, every part of our lives. Uh, Lord, you are good to us. You were um, so good to us, far beyond what we deserve. And I pray tonight that the themes and the notes of your grace and the ways that you love us so well would not just resound in this room, but they would resound in our hearts and that we would be encouraged and that we would be drawn closer to you. Lord Christ, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So uh, the day before my uh, uh, wedding rehearsal, and if you've been around RDF, you've heard me tell this story before. But so basically, uh, we are getting married. It's December. We're going to Jamaica. And I think to myself, it's winter. I'm looking a little pasty. I need to get tan before I go experience my honeymoon with my wife in Jamaica. So I head to the closest tanning bed in in my town of Sumter, South Carolina. Now, what you have to know is I'd never been to the tanning bed in my life. And so very much a novice. So I walk in and the guy says, hey, hello, sir. I mean, this place was the sketchiest place by far that I've ever been. I mean, it looked like it was a clear they were laundering some kind of drugs or something from there. So this old man's running the counter and he says, do you want to go for five minutes, 10 minutes or 15 minutes? So I'm new to the tanning bed. And I say, 15 Sounds great. Because I'm thinking to myself, 15 minutes in the sun, no problem. 15 minutes in a tanning bed, no problem. Wrong. 
So I really commit to this thing. I uh, end up really going for it. Um, I'm going to let, let that one rest. And actually putting on the little goggles. And so I'm in there, and like it gets a little hot. It's no big deal. Get out. I'm about four hours from my rehearsal dinner. Uh, I go take a nap. I wake up from that nap feeling like I'm on fire. I go to my bathroom mirror, and the way I've described it is it really does look like a combination of a a raccoon and a hot dog if they could have a baby, because I am like hot dog red with total raccoon eyes. I show up to the church for the rehearsal. My wife comes in. This is not a joke. My wife walks in. (laughs) My wife walks in, and she looks at me, and she starts crying. (laughs) Because, I mean, I'm talking like it's bad. And uh, we, we push through. Um, I am peeling and I'm in such pain throughout the whole ceremony, well into the honeymoon. At some point in Jamaica, it like worked out, you know, like I didn't need any suntan lotion at that point. But if you were to come to my house, what it, what it ruined was the wedding pictures, because basically we had to get all black and white wedding pictures. And so if you come to my house, you'll notice all of our wedding pictures are black and white, because the ones that are in color, I look like a hot dog raccoon baby. <laughs> It was a disaster. It was a dis- Why am I saying this? It was a disaster, and in, a, in the same way, it makes me think of this couple in this text that we're going to look at tonight. Is they're on the verge of a far worse disaster. Uh, they are basically about. They're on the verge of deep social shame and embarrassment. And I want to look at that together. I want to show just two things from this text tonight that I want you to see about life and about Jesus. Here's the first thing. The first thing I want you to see is this. The wine always runs out. The wine always runs out. So we're not exactly sure whose wedding this is. There's some speculation that it could be actually John's wedding, or it could be Nathaniel's wedding. We're not sure. And we're not exactly sure why Mary, Jesus' mother, and Jesus and his disciples are there, other than that uh, Mary has some connection to one of the couple's And this is why Mary gets really invested when she notices or someone runs her and says, we're having this huge situation, the wine is running out. Now, what I want you to see is this is not just a little bit of a social kind of embarrassing situation. This is something in that culture that was a huge deal. There was one thing that you had to do for weddings because they were feasts that lasted days. And it was to make sure that your guests were well taken care of, especially in the food and wine department. And to run out of wine... If this thing had gone through and Jesus hadn't come to save the day, it would have meant, at, at best, starting this marriage off on a really unlucky and misfortunate or unfortunate foot. At worst, this is the thing I want you to get, is it would have been something that this town would have marked these families and this couple with, with deep shame for a long, long, long time. Just think about, if you grew up in the South, which I did, I think a lot of us did, you know that this is the kind of thing that the the town would have gossiped about for years to come, and it would have been the stigma of shame. And this is the first thing that I want you to see, though. So Jesus, in this moment, his mom comes to him, and she says, Jesus, can you help, basically? And it's this weird, uncomfortable exchange where Jesus basically says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I don't think Jesus is trying to be disrespectful to his mom I think Jesus is trying to clearly show my life's mission is different than your life's mission. And he's doing some boundary work here. But then she comes to him because she knows he can do something about it. And that because he's Jesus, because he's the son of God, come in love that he cares. But the first thing I want you to see is that the wine always runs out. This is a huge lesson for you to get. Maybe you, you can relate to this. Maybe you can't. 
But what that means is at some point, life is not going to go the way that you want it to go or the way that you think it should go. Now, maybe this has happened for you already. Maybe, maybe there's a story in your life where the wine ran out. Maybe this is yet to come for you. But life in a broken world as a fallen human being means the wine is going to run out. I don't say this to ramp up your anxiety. I don't say this to throw you into a fit of depression. I say this to get at what it means to live and follow Jesus in a fallen world. I want you to look at, to kind of get at this for a second, I want you to look at this couple with me just for a second and put yourself as best you can in their shoes. This is one of the things that makes this text, I think, so relatable is you can imagine the kind of quiet, the kind of whisper fighting that was probably happening between this couple. I don't know if you've ever been part of a relationship where you're like at a party, but you're doing the like quietly passive aggressive whisper fight thing. Uh, I've done that plenty of times in my marriage. And just think about what the wife must be thinking. She's got to be thinking something like, I reminded him 16 times to make sure we had a head count and the right amount of wine. And he's got to be thinking something like, if she would just calm down for a second, I could make a run to Publix, pick up a couple suitcases of Natty Light, and this thing is going to be fine, <laughs> right? And they're in this moment of, of real tension because they're on the verge of something that is actually that is very shameful. And this is the thing I think that's interesting about John chapter 2. So if you were with us last week, John chapter 1 opens... And it takes us, John takes us all the way back to creation. And he says, you have, if you're going to understand Jesus, and you're going to understand yourself, you have to understand that everything goes back to Jesus as the one who is your creator, and that Jesus is the one who life won't make sense or be fulfilling without. And it's fascinating that in John chapter 2, we have another Adam and Eve kind of a story. Here is this couple, and they are fighting, and they are arguing, And they are on the verge of this deep, socially shameful thing. And in their own way, because the wine is running out, they're on the verge of feeling naked and ashamed. The wine always runs out. Let me try to unpack that. What does that mean for us? Let me give you two examples, two stories of friends, of some friends in my life. Here's one. A few years ago, a close friend, uh, she, uh, her life's dream was to be a doctor. And she crushed it in high school. She crushed it, crushed it in college. Got into the med school of her choice. Uh, made her way well, you know, did pretty well in med school. Came to that time, if you know anything about med school, where you, you go for your residency, if I understand it right, and you're supposed to match somewhere. Got to that day and didn't match anywhere. The chances, she was telling me, the chances of this happening are like less than 1% for people who graduate, you know, uh, med school and still took a year off and is still trying to figure out a way into the medical field and the wine has run out another friend who was uh, one of my best friends growing up was an incredible high school football player uh, he was having his best sophomore year having his best season he ever had just played middle uh, middle linebacker just you know crushing it in the field he gets into this game it's about the third game of the season and these two players, these sort of two mm, from the other team, decide they're going to get a little dirty and they're going to hit him after the play on a kickoff. And out of nowhere, he catches them in the corner of his eyes. Two guys kind of double team him, hit him at the same time, rips his ACL. He played his, I think, junior, maybe late junior year, early senior year, but he was never the same. We literally, we just went to the mountains. He was telling me the story. Tears in his eyes still. I mean, this was 20 years ago. 
the wine runs out. The, the things that we put our hopes and dreams in, this is why C.S. Lewis said, it's in your handout, don't put your, put your hope in, or don't depend on something which you may lose because the wine always runs out. Sometimes this is through our own foolish choices. We get into relationships and we put all our hopes and dreams there and the wine runs out. Sometimes it's through things that are beyond our control, right? It's through things that happen to us, things like anxiety and depression that come out of nowhere and hit us like a freight train and the wine in some way or another runs out and it was not our choice, but it came into our lives. But the wine runs out. That's the bad news for tonight. But there's good news. This is the second thing I want you to say, or want you to see, is this is the place that Jesus loves to show up. This is the place where Jesus loves to show up and show you who he is, what you mean to him, and who he is for you. Uh, this is the second thing I want you to see is the wine always runs out. Yes, that's true. And if you know it, you know what I'm saying. But the second thing is even more true, and it's this. Jesus makes the best wine. Jesus makes the best wine. So Jesus, tell, he gathers the mom, his mom, Mary, gathers the, serve, the wait staff, basically, and says, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And so Jesus gathers them. He says, I want you to take these six stone water jars that were there for the Jewish, it says, John says, for basically a Jewish ritual cleansing act. And he says, I want you to take these things and fill them to the brim with water. And then he does, sometimes I want to, like, how did he do this? He's Jesus. I don't know how he did it. Did he say something? Did he pray something? No idea. One of my favorite tweets ever is actually, it's imagining Jesus at a restaurant and the waiter comes up. The tweet goes like this. The waiter comes up and says, uh, what will you have to drink? And the tweet goes, Jesus looks into the camera and says, water is fine. <laughs> don't want that nerd Bible humor that I like. Um, but Jesus, here's what happens. Here's what he does. These things, to get a picture of how much wine he makes, these water jars, if you've, uh, basically a keg, if you know what a keg looks like or what it holds, it holds about 15 gallons. Yeah, don't, just quietly listen. (laughs) Holds about 15 gallons. This is about, these things held 20 to 30 gallons. We're talking about, what, 12 kegs? He makes a ton of wine. And he basically, what that does is it keeps this wedding feast going. But not only does he make a ton of wine, I'm going to explain this. Not only does he make a, a ton of wine, but he makes wine that is so incredible. When, he, when they take it to the master of the feast, the head of the wait staff, the sommelier, he is blown away. And that's why he says, what are you doing? Most wedding parties, they, they serve the incredible wine first and then the cheap stuff later. Why are you? But you save the best until last. What is Jesus doing here? And I want you to see that Jesus is doing something that's really, really important that we have to get a hold of. That he is showing us what life in his kingdom looks like. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's so much in scripture about how wine gladdens the heart. About how, uh, there's a Psalm 4-7 says, you made my joy more full than when their new wine and grains abound. Wine in scripture is a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of abundance. This is why John, Jesus is doing what John is going to say later in John 10, that Jesus, when he says, I came to bring life and life to the fullest, what I want you to see is Jesus is acting in front of them. He's showing them and letting them taste how joyful it is to belong to him. The joy that is found in being known and loved by him. 
In having your sin forgiven and your shame taken away, Jesus is showing them, letting them taste what the joy of that feels like. I love the way that Tim Keller says this. He's reflecting on Psalm 104, 15 years what he says. He says, Jesus, too, gave wine to gladden the heart of man. He began his ministry by miraculously providing excellent wine to keep a wedding party going. Why would he make this? It's a great question. Why would he make this his opening signature miracle? Have you stopped long enough to ask that question tonight? Why did Jesus make this, the water into wine, his first miracle? There are a lot he could have chosen. He could have raised Lazarus from the dead as his first miracle. right? He could have walked on water as his first miracle. He could have done any number of things as his first miracle. And yet in this moment, in this quiet and hidden way, he makes incredible wine for the whole party to partake of. Why does he do it? Because he wants to show us the joy of his kingdom. He wants to show us the joy of what it means to belong to him. This is the kind of wine Jesus gives to us. It's the wine of being loved by him forever. The thing that this couple began to experience as Jesus did this first sign in their midst was as much as they loved each other, as much as their family and friends, no doubt, that were there loved them, that there was one person in that room that could love them far, whose every other love pales in comparison to, and it's the love of Jesus. Jesus does this miracle. He does this sign because he loves this couple. In other words, signs in Scripture are not these, these shows of power and glory. It is showing us the very heart of Jesus. And what Jesus is inviting you into tonight is to get you to see, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you know how much Jesus cares about where you are? Do you know how much Jesus cares about your story? Do you know how much he, he, he is... His heart moves toward you in your struggles. Do you know that you have the very heart of Jesus moving toward you in love in the same way it moved in love to this couple? But it's also the wine, not just of of being loved forever and loved so well. It's also the wine of having your shame taken away. That's the other thing Jesus does for this couple is he sees this moment that is going to be a mark of shame in their lives forever. And he says, I'm going to take that shame away. I'm going to do something to remove that shame from them. They stood there naked and ashamed on the, mer- on, the, on the verge of marital disaster. And Jesus comes in and he meets them in, the, in their shame and he begins to take it away. Here's the thing that I love that it really came out as I was studying this. The question I asked is, why did Mary care so much that this was happening? And then I, was, I read this, this one guy that was saying... Basically, because she knew a lot about weddings that are marked by shame. Do you remember the story of Mary? Do you remember how Joseph, her husband, almost left her? Because here she was, a teenage, pregnant mom, and it wasn't by him. And it took God himself to come in and say, listen, trust me in this. Just trust me. And so here is this shotgun wedding. That's what it seemed like. And this sort of deeply shameful Marriage, And have you ever thought to ask that that's how God chose to enter into our world? He could have come any number of ways. But he came through an apparently or seemingly shameful situation. And I think that is what is tugging at Mary's heart and why she brings it to Jesus. And I think what Jesus is saying when he says, my hour has not yet come, here's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, mom, 
I've come to take a couple like this and their shame away. But in my hour, when I'm going to the cross, I've come to take away the shame of the sin of the world. Your shame and my shame. Jesus says that's the hour where I'm fully and forever and finally taking away everything that you're ashamed about. Everything that still makes you weep alone. Everything that you're so embarrassed for your best friend to even know about you. That's the shame that Jesus has come to take away. And this is where this wine is incredible. The the wine of being known and loved by him. The wine of him taking our shame away. But you have to see that this wine came at incredible cost to Jesus. This is why when we find Jesus in his hour and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays that weird prayer, if you know it, where he says, Lord, please let this cup pass from me. And it's fascinating because what cup is he talking about? And if you're familiar with Scripture at all and you've read Jeremiah or Isaiah or even the Psalms, he's talking about what Scripture calls the cup of God's wrath. It's basically a cup that is filled with every one of our sins and what it deserves. It's filled with every one of our mistakes and flaws, every one of our shameful moments, every one of our evil desires in our hearts. This cup is filled with what all that deserves and Jesus says, Lord, to drink this is surely death and hell itself. Who can, who can drink? The scriptures always say, who can drink the cup of God's wrath? And Jesus says, Lord, if it is your will, please let this cup pass. Because he knew the terror that was going to be the wrath of God toward him. And he says, but your will be done. And Jesus takes that cup full of what your sin deserves and what my sin deserves. And he drinks it to the very bottom. Why? That you and I might get this wine. That you and I might have the new wine of what it means to be known and loved by Jesus. Of to have, to have our sins taken away. To be loved forever with flaws and all. To, be, to have your shame removed from you. And to be clothed in Jesus' goodness and righteousness. This is why Jesus does it. He takes the cup that we deserve. That we might drink new wine with him forever in his kingdom. I love the way that Brendan Manning says it. He says it like this. He says, basically, through no merit of mine, I've been given a bona fide invitation to drink new wine forever at the wedding feast in the kingdom of God. And this is the other little hint that John gives us. Why Jesus makes the best wine. This is, what we, this is our hope, by the way. You belong to Jesus. This is what we're putting our hope in. In the midst of whatever is overwhelming you at the moment. In the midst of whatever you're afraid to confess. Whatever you feel stuck in and paralyzed in. Here is what the promise of Jesus to us is. Not just that he took the cup of wrath for us. But that he is not just now giving us by his spirit the fullness of what it means to belong to him. But more. If you go back up, John gives us a little hint. He loves to give little hints. He is, he is incredible. He's an incredible artist. And he starts this thing with this little hint in verse 1 where he says, On the third day, why would he include that little detail? What else happens on the third day? We know it, right? After Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath and dies the death that you and I deserve, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. We say it in the Creed. And he didn't just do it again to show his power. He did it to take us who are engraved in the palms of his hands to heaven. And he did it to prepare not just a house for us, but a feast for us. This is why John in his vision in Revelation, we looked at it last semester, Revelation 19. 
Jesus tells the angel to tell John, here's what I want you to say. Prepare yourself because you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In other words, there is a day coming where we will literally drink this new wine with Jesus forever. And in that moment, your anxiety and your depression, that sin that you can't seem to get a hold of, that struggle that you're ashamed to talk about, is going to melt away in the joy of belonging and being next to and worshiping and drinking this new wine of grace and joy with Jesus. I'll close with this. Daniel in God's Providence is wearing a Beyonce shirt tonight. Favorite Beyonce song. A lot to pick from. Uh, Drunken Love. Personal faith. And what I love is, you know, she's singing that song. I think it's a beautiful, a lot of ways, a beautiful song. We could talk about the parts that maybe are, you know, not beautiful. But here's the deal. This passage is an invitation for you and I to drink and be drunk with the love of Jesus. Here's the deal. You're drunk on something. Like, if drinking's not your thing, glad it's not your thing. If it is your thing, welcome. Love to talk to you about Jesus. But it's not your thing. You're still drunk on something. You're drunk on, maybe you're drunk on pride. That was me, junior year in my frat hall. One of the most shameful moments is that a guy right across from me who came home drunk every night. What did I do? I had my little Calvin and, when Calvin and Hobbes was still a thing. I don't know, it's not still a thing anymore. But there were these stickers that had like Calvin peeing on like a Ford symbol or like Calvin peeing on like an Alabama symbol or a Clemson symbol. And really eager Christian me, super proud Christian me, had one that was just Calvin kneeling at a cross. Just this little picture. And I put it proudly on my door because I wanted that guy, his name was Brett. I wanted him to see that and feel shame. Brett actually later told my sister, who came a couple years after me, that, and I quote, I always felt so ashamed around Sammy because I just felt like he was judging me the whole time. When I heard that, my heart broke because I had a, a chance as a roommate, a hallmate, to share the love of Jesus. But guess what? I was drunk on pride. I was drunk on my own self-righteousness. Maybe you're drunk on your own performance. Maybe you're drunk on grades. Maybe you're drunk on lust. I don't know what it is for you. You're drunk on something. But Jesus is inviting you tonight to drink and be drunk in his love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you love us so well. We thank you that you took the cup that we deserve, that we might get the cup of this new wine. So Lord, would you, would you remind us that this is who you are to us. Would you, in powerful and beautiful ways, uh, reveal yourself as the Lord of wine to us that, and belonging to you? Would that be our deepest joy? And would you meet us in these ways? And would you renew our joy in you tonight? Some of us, we, we're here and we're, um, we feel maybe cold or we feel just a little bit distant from this joy. And, or maybe some of us have known seasons of it before and we're ashamed of it. And Lord, would you show us that you love to come and take away that shame and you love to restore us to the fullness of life. And you can because you love us and you gave yourself for us and you work in us in beautiful and powerful ways. So Lord, we ask for this. We pray for this. Lord Christ, we pray these things in your name. Amen.
Please stand with me and we're going to sing the doxology. I'm going to try to lead us.